Thank you for joining us at the OT Corner with Mrs. K. Please note this podcast does not intend to offer medical advice or therapeutic treatment for any medical condition for either yourself or others. If you have any medical or rehabilitation concerns for yourself or your child, please contact your physician. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the OT Corner with Mrs. K, a school-based occupational therapist bringing you a series of interviews and information on childhood development for kids with all different abilities. So get ready, get set, let's go. Hello and welcome to the OT Corner with Mrs. K. I am excited that you're here today because it has been exactly a year since I started this podcast. Over this past year, I have met some really great people doing this podcast, people that have sought me out, I've sought them out, and it's been a lot of fun. And not only that, more importantly, it's been a great learning experience for me, and I believe it's made me a better therapist, to tell you the truth. So today, I have my friend Bob Siriani, who was my very first guest on this podcast back in January of 2023. And last year, we discussed the collaborative service delivery model. Now, this is a model that Bob teaches in the classroom as he is the associate professor for speech-language pathology at Salis University in Philadelphia. And we talked in depth about what the collaborative service delivery model, how they teach it at Salis and how it benefits the classroom, the teachers, the students, everyone involved. So today we're going to be discussing, we're going to spin off on that episode, and we're going to be discussing the benefits of interdisciplinary collaboration in the classroom. And more specifically, we're going to be looking at the benefits and the challenges of the collaborative classroom, as well as how you can advocate for a collaborative model in your setting if you are not yet doing this. And then finally, we talk about knowing when it's appropriate to deliver the collaborative model and when it's appropriate to pull a child out to deliver services one-on-one. So without further ado, let's welcome back Bob Siriani to the OT Corner. So thank you, Bob, for coming on today. And you are a repeat guest, so I really appreciate you coming back. So thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. the, I think the opportunity to really um, have a conversation with you about our experiences and our understandings about not only how we practice as speech pathologists and occupational therapists, but how we can collaborate and um, really push our practices forward is really uh, motivating to me. So happy to be here again and ready for uh, this conversation. Excellent. So we're just going to dive right in. And First of all, you know, with a collaborative model, there are definitely a lot of benefits to the collaborative model. And in fact, it seems like over the past year, since our initial conversation, I I don't know if it's just my me being more aware of it and, and working toward that, um, but I feel like I've been able to collaborate a lot more in the classroom. And there really is, a I feel a lot of benefits um, to working with the teachers so closely, working with the other related services so closely. 
And I didn't know if you have also seen some of that with some of your students coming back and talking about, do they see more of this collaborative model? Do they feel that they're, you know, and what kind of benefits do they see as, as students coming back with some of this experience? Yeah, I think there's uh I think there's sort of two ends to this story. One is that um you know as practitioners we are always being sort of drawn into more and more care. So it's really important that um we are as efficient as possible. Um so part of this is sort of like forced into how do I get quicker, better um you know, more organized and and the collaborative approach really does uh, follow that many hands makes the the lifting light sort of motto because we're 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 really being intentional and uh, coordinating. And partly it's because um, we're being driven to do this, right? Our administrators are 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 giving us um, less budgets. And um, you know, bigger swaths of schools to cover, and so by us sort of being trying to be more efficient and uh, us being pushed along to be more efficient, um, I I do really see our students going like, how can how can I make this manageable? Plus, we know from research that our that the the clients, students, patients that we work with under this model get better. So uh, you know, the idea of there being this this perfect storm of work wants us to work harder and we're really really looking at the evidence to make our our caseloads meet the goals that we set for them um having that time to to work together it just makes sense so it it's not a hard sell typically once we sort of have good buy in and uh i think it's 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 time to move all of us sort of along to this collaborative model. I agree. And I, I also like, um, you know, I, I feel like I've been in the classroom a lot more this year mm. instead of pulling out. And I have, I have, um, you know, a couple of teachers, intervention specialists that we are on the same goal. Um, but, you know, I might be taking some data for a certain objective and we're getting some nice baseline data. It also allows us to discuss the, you know, be be there present with the student together and discuss some ideas. I feel that our treatment sessions go so much smoother. The teacher sees what I'm doing. The aides see what I'm doing. And that's when I really see the carryover happen when I am not there. And I do the same with, so I'll do the same too. I'll see what they're doing with the kid and a tweak and adjust my treatment sessions to support them. Mm -hmm. So I, that's the benefit that I have really seen as a practitioner in, in the set, in the school settings, which is nice. Um, and I think yeah. it also is aligning really well with that least restrictive environment um, and providing that is so you're not, you know, so many times you pull a kid and it's, it's almost like a stigma to them. And if you start including them with their peers, they feel better about themselves too. Yeah, I think that that's really um, what the least restrictive environment is one of the um, practical approaches that we've seen, because um, the the students really 
Um, it's not realistic to have a one-on-one -on -one session with all the kids on your caseload um, out in the hallway or down in your office because you've, you know, you've got to get it in between gym time and, and snack mm -hmm. time and, and sort of those, the, the children have to be in the classroom. I also really like the idea of kids being comfortable and they're obviously most comfy in their classrooms. That's where they spend a majority of their day anyway. It's their, it's their rug, it's their toys, it's their arts and crafts section of the room. Um, and that just makes so much sense as a clinician to be in the space where the child's going to use the these sort of goal-driven skills. Um, and and now we're measuring success where success has to happen, right? Exactly. Yes. Now, the only thing that I've, I've really run into, I think planning, well, first of all, a lot of us practitioners, I think, in the school systems, at least from my experience, we're contracted into the school system. So we're not really an employee of that school system. The school district that my children are in, actually, they do have OTs in the district, hired by the district, and they are in one school usually, or maybe two, but they're in, they're always there. So for me, the challenge is being, you know, here on Monday and Wednesday, there on, you know, it's the, my days and my weeks are, I'm not there consistently. That's the challenge for me and making sure that I'm available for all that upfront planning. And that really is one of the biggest challenges, um, finding that time. Yeah. And I also, especially, um, you know, speech pathologists who sometimes work for the district or sometimes con contracted in, but certainly in preschools, we're always the sort of guest in the, in the, the classroom and that, um, that respect for the space that is your visitor in, I think really does become um, a challenge. And, and just like we know that we're busy, our teachers are busy too. So mm -hmm. where do we find the time to plan, to communicate, to really be intentional about finding the right, um, the right students, the right activity? Um, it, it, yes, this isn't something that you're just going to like, walk into a classroom and it's just going to happen, you're either going to need to use one of those development days or a little bit of personal time and an email or two to really um, to jump the hurdle of who's got the time to plan to then, uh, and then debrief too. Like the, you know, all, we always talk about our students, the learning doesn't necessarily happen in the planning or the activity but it's the after the activity stuff when you go, okay, what worked? What didn't work? How do we do this better next time? And so it's really not just the the 20 minutes of circle time where you're working with another therapist or the teacher. Um, it's it's the hour or two beforehand and definitely the, the time it takes afterwards to really peel out what worked, what didn't work, and how we're going to do this next time. Exactly, exactly. And I think also um, understand that goes along with understanding where each person is coming from to uh, I have all this terminology, OT terminology that it's not going to they're not going to understand it. So I have to come up with a way to explain it, what I'm getting at. Th that sometimes is uh, a, a challenge for me.
And I think coupled with that too, I don't know if this is happens as much with OTs as it does with SLPs. Sometimes we get a, that's not, is that your job or that's not your job? Uh, and I, I think if we come from the perspective of that, our job, what we're responsible for doing is addressing the goals in the IFSP or IEP and at, with a team approach, you know, who's going to sort of parse out that responsibility or even moving further along down that line to that interprofessional collaboration? How do we all sort of pile on these goals? Um, it does take some time to really understand you, not only your sort of scope of practice, but what other scopes of practice mm -hmm. are and that intersectionality. Um, you know, we're not just there to fix the R's and the L's that those, your little pre-Kers can't sort of produce, um, but really looking at like the the communication, the language, the socialization, the cognitive things like attention, um, you know, which also sit in OT land, right? So how do we how do we use our joint efforts to 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 address these goals? as opposed to that divide and conquer uh, methodology. So obviously there are challenges to this evolution of the interdisciplinary collaborative method in the classroom. And in our next segment, Bob and I discuss how one can advocate for the collaborative classroom. What can you do as a related service provider to get people to buy into delivering services with this approach. How, as a related service provider, OT, speech, PT, whatever, um, are you going to advocate for this collaborative service and and how do we do that? What, what what could how could that what would that look like? The I think the opportunity is for us to really work with our teachers and understand sort of the culture of the classroom of the school. Um, I really, much like many other projects that you may or may not have um, sort of on your radar screen, making sure we have administrators buy-in. Um, the we, we certainly, if we see resistance from um, our the school principal or administrators or the people who oversee related services are really just worried about how many treatment minutes did you get in today. Um, that's that's not going to give us the the space really to build in time for planning for sort of that that collaborative approach, the debrief. We have to get parents involved. I think that's sometimes they're the uh, I'll use sort of the saying the stick that's going to get the the horse to move mm -hmm. um, is to have our parents really say like, hey, I understand this is a, a, a beneficial approach to working with my child and uh, their goals. How how are you, school district uh, or or preschool, using this model to work with my child in their classroom? Yeah, exactly. And I think... Um... You know, I think sometimes people, are, like you said, teachers and paraprofessionals, everybody's super busy in the school. Everybody is. And referrals are just increasing. And it's almost like you're st still trying to tread water and then you want somebody to come in and <laughs> work with you on something and develop this whole collaborative method. But finding some sort of um, 
I don't know, way to discuss the goals with the team members. Like you said, even before the IEP happens or even before the evaluation happens, what 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 is something that we really want to focus in on this kid? Um, not just have like a standard set of assessments that you're going to use every set time. You know, you really think about the kid and, and it doesn't have to be that long of a meeting either, you know, Honestly, it could be over a lunchtime, or I know that um, uh, one of my one of my colleagues that works in the school district that my children are in, they have they she works in the preschool, so every Friday they have what you're calling like that debriefing session. What worked this week? What you know? Where do we need to go? So and so's IEP is coming up. What as a team do we want to work on? And it can be done. I just think that it's, you know, advocating for that, um, that communication, that effective communication um, and being open with each other and accepting the ideas from each other. Yeah. You know what? I, um, I was uh, covering at one of our preschool programs uh, a couple semesters ago. And so I'm in the hallway with one of our um little three-year-olds going back to the classroom. And I watched two classroom teachers who were sort of passing in the hallway with their lines. So one was moving into the art space and one was coming out of the art space. And I watched them in that, I mean, maybe it was three minutes that they passed in the hallway, um, design a play group around a shared activity that was going on in their classroom for the, the, when they moved out to the um, playground for recess. I thought how ingenious, like this was the time that they had and they were really effective with that time. They weren't, they didn't lose attention from their sort of ducks in a row that they were moving. Mm -hmm. um, they were, they knew they had just this few minutes to really get it done. So I think if you have a willing partner, if you have like the right um, environment, you're going to find the time to plan and to debrief. Um, I think that that open and effective communication, look, this isn't something that you're going to walk in, you know, after uh, spring break and be like, the whole school's changing. Um, you're going to pick one kid, mm -hmm. one, one service provider, one teacher, two paras, and you're all going to say, okay, we're going to make this work for, for, for this, this activity, this, this goal, this service. And when it does, then you're going to brag about it at the luncheon, or you're going to do it again and bring your administrator and be like, watch what happens. Um, look how quiet our classroom is, or look how quickly we get this activity underway after instruction. It's because of X, Y, Z. And that sort of exemplar will be what catapults into Next September, we're going to have a different philosophy in in maybe the three-year-old classrooms. So um, I, I think that communication and realistic goal expectation mm -hmm. is, it, it's going to take some time. You're going to have turnover. You're going to have a school that has, you know, six diff different OT providers that come in. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get them all sort of aligned and then, of course, the school year is going to end and you're going to start with a new batch of kids and a new batch of service providers, maybe a new teacher or two. But I think if you set up that culture, if you have a communication um, uh, expectation, if you have that that common goal mentality, 
then it doesn't matter who the players are. It's going to be the understanding. Um, the parents are going to expect it. The students are going to expect it. Uh, so I, I think it's, um, you know, you have to have a willing partner. And once you have that willing partner, I think the, the as they say, the dominoes start to fall. I, I think something that we shouldn't do is sort of go into these classrooms and tell the teacher what should be happening mm -hmm. or not happening. Yes. Um, I think it's, um, I, I think, I, I know, thinking back when, when I wore a different hat and worked in a nursing home, like I used to go to the nurse before I asked anything and I would say, how can I help you today? Or or what do you need? Um, I, I would be on a unit and I used to carry like applesauce and, and spoons in my pockets. And I sort of got to be known that if, if somebody was stuck, I would all, I'd always have a spoon in my pocket and could pass it along to a nurse who was trying to give medications or a aide who was like trying to feed a snack or lunch. So by being a resource, those nurses, when I needed something, were more congenial to my requests, even though they were busy practitioners with loads and loads of things to do and not a lot of time to do them. And I think our classroom collaborators, collaborators, if we walked in and, and, and said like, how can I help you today? Um, that, that sort of relationship build is what's going to set up the ability for you to advocate for more time with, with the group of students in the classroom or you, you, you're known to alleviate some mm -hmm. sort of stressor. And so when I come to you with this thing, it's not like, it's not going to look like more. It's going to be like, oh, maybe I'll have actually less because you have this history of, of being supportive of, of, of sort of filling a gap. So I think of you uh, again, it's timing, it's communication, it's the right partners, it's the buy-in, it's professional development. You're going to need to take one of those days and have like a little bit of time to read or or talk to your related service person and uh, better understand their practice and and which will help you understand your practice and have that that mutual respect and understanding, which will then give you sort of the perfect storm for this to work for your students in the classroom. I agree. And then, you know, I've been, I've been kind of look, reading up on ways that I could support the teacher. And, and if I, if the teacher asks me, what kind of paper are you using? Maybe instead of saying, oh, this is, you know, you go online, this is where you find it. Maybe just bringing it to them mm -hmm. saying, and then show them how you use it with the student or even um, I've done in my preschool classroom where I am in two days a week, I have all these different types of scissors that I'm using for a craft that we're working on. The teacher sees it and, and she'll ask, you know, can we try to use those in the classroom or um, a sensory group? So those types of things I think really help. Listen, and just as just sometimes, um, you know, realistically, uh, I've I, we've seen uh, our therapists sort of pull their kiddo aside to address goals. And they'll also sort of borrow another kid from the classroom. Yes. And that's because there's there's a better exchange between peers in in therapeutic situations than therapist to child. So now 
you've got you know your your teacher gets smart about like can you borrow this one because they seem a little active today or they're they're not attending to the activity as I'd like and I'm spending a lot of extra time with them so maybe if I can have the related service person borrow them for a few minutes then I can really concentrate on some of the other students in my class if we're in the space we can support all the classroom stuff going on now I know we've been talking a lot about the collaboration between teachers related services to deliver this type of model, but it's not the end-all be-all. And in this next section, Bob and I discuss when it's appropriate to pull a child out to work with them on one-on-one versus when is it appropriate to use this interdisciplinary collaboration method. There are times that we want to pull our child out and work on with their skills one-on-one. Personally, I find this type of one-on-one session more beneficial when we're learning a new skill or I need to really break down a task and we need to work on each step of the task and then bring it into the classroom after that. Those are the types of those. And I have to say we do more pull out still just because some of the school districts, I mean, that's kind of still the model that we're working with. No, I I, I absolutely agree. I can imagine that um, there, there are drills that we do as speech pathologists. I'm thinking of like you're working with a, a little one that has a has something going on with their voice and it's sort of like quiet reading time and you're doing e-aw, e-aw, <laughs> and you're, you're, you're sort of distracting from the focus of the classroom. I really think that there are, and you as the clinician, uh, the related service providers are going to know this is going to fit well and this is going to disrupt the flow. And I think if you're trying to sort of move to more of that collaborative in the space, um, work, you really have to do that gently. So if you're going to do your Arctic drills and now for whatever reason, it, the three other kids at that table are now also doing Arctic drills and not working on the craft that they were supposed to be working, um, I can see where we're doing more harm than good in that situation. So I think ultimately as a clinician, you're going to have to strike while the iron's hot. Like this makes sense. We're doing a literacy um skill and it it blends really well into reading time and the following activity yours you know if we go with your sort of scissors idea you're not going to do cutting in the middle of um dramatic play because now nobody's doing dramatic play and they're all sort of using the the cool new scissors in the room so i i, I think that there are going to be times where a discipline say we really need to concentrate we really need the time to trial these different therapy techniques or, you know, introduce a new skill that we can really break down in the sequence and then build it into the classroom. So, yeah, I hope people don't, you know, walk away from listening to us and think like, pull out is now a dirty word. Like, you can't do this. This is doing, this is not, you know, cutting edge. So I can't do it. I I, I think that that's, that um, would be super dramatic and certainly the wrong message because you're going to know you're going to this doesn't work for the kid they're too distractible or um, the the kids in the classroom are too distractible so I I need a quiet space or I need to be out of the the environment 
um, to to really make sure that we're we're moving forward in the goal, and then we're going to bring it back in. I always love when the peers help each other or they model something for each other. And, you know, so the kid, you pull them out, you taught them the skill and then they come in and maybe they, now they know how to do it. They model it for the next kiddo next. And it's just really neat to see stuff like that happen and it boosts their confidence. So marrying those two types of approaches really is beneficial. I think the, the collaborative practice approach allows our students to really be um, feel supported and 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 expand learning and then that gets the ball rolling and I would love to be a clinician in an environment that really did focus on those um, IEP goals very holistically I agree I agree it's a nice goal for us yes. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate you coming back. As always, I love talking to you. And you never know, maybe asking you back again someday. So I'd love it. I always feel like it can take on the world after one of these conversations. So um, I'm glad it's a little bit snowy out there today because I'm stuck in the house. I can't go change the world. May I'll have to plow first and then I'll go change the world. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks again. Of course. Thank you, Bob, again, for coming on and discussing the benefits of interdisciplinary collaboration in the classroom. I really appreciate your input and find the topic extremely relevant to my practice and I'm sure other related service providers as well as intervention specialists and administrators will find it interesting as well. Now, to support a lot of the discussion that we had today, I have included some resources and links in the show notes that you might want to check out. In particular, an article that I found really interesting is a joint statement on interprofessional collaborative goals in school-based practice. It was put out by AOTA, APTA, and ASHA. Those are um, the national organizations for occupational therapists, physical therapists, and speech therapists. And it's a really interesting article, and it's not a very long read, but I found it really intriguing. Um, There's also an article on there for Partnering for Change, uh, Collaborating to Transform Occupational Therapy Services that Support Inclusive Education. And, you know, this is really where we're heading in the direction of that multi-tiered service delivery system. Check some of those links out that I provided. And as always, if you ever have any questions or any ideas that you'd like to throw my way, uh, you can reach me at jennifer at theotcorner.com. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to the OT Corner with Mrs. K. Feel free to join the OT Corner community by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you have a topic you want to hear about, or if you would like to come on the show, feel free to contact Jennifer at theotcorner.com. We would love to hear from you. All information from the show is listed in the episode notes. We know you can listen to anyone, so we appreciate you stopping by. Until next time, thanks again.